My name is David. For those who are new to our church, uh, I'm, uh, I'm on staff here at, um, at Christ Church Midrand, and it's my privilege to be opening God's Word to you this evening. If you have a Bible, I hope you do, please turn it to Genesis uh, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verse 4 um, to 25. Uh, if, you were, if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, last week we started a new series which is titled Life as We Know It. Uh, why that title? Uh, well, we are going to discover that God wants to redefine life as we know it. If you're joining us for on Zoom, it is uh, great to have you. We have been looking at how God redefines life um, as we know it. And now many of us come into church, many of us grew up in Christian or so-called Christian families. Uh, many of us come from different backgrounds. And when we hear the word God, there's a lot of um, meaning and attributes um, that we bring in uh, with us when we think about um, God. Now, the God that we're speaking of when I'm speaking about God is the God of the Christian story. Uh, and what we're going to see is that the Christian story starts off in Genesis and ends in Revelation. And so from the very word go, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, God has always had a plan. And there's this common theme that runs across all of Scripture uh, of God dwelling with his people. But why would he dwell with his people? Um, he not only dwells with them, but he redefines their life. So that's why uh, that title, Life um, as We Know It. Uh, so last week we started off looking at Genesis chapter 1, uh, and we said that every culture has a, a story. Uh, every culture uh, has a story. And this, this story is concerned with us answering four main questions. Uh, the first question being, who is God? The second question, who are we? Uh, the third question, why are we here? Or where did we come from? Um, and the last question, where, we, where are we going? Where are we going? And the answer to those four questions will determine the nature of how we relate to the world that you and I live in. Uh, the kind of relationships and how we behave in those relationships will be mainly determined by how we answer those questions. Those questions shape who we are. Those questions shape our, not only our view of God, um, but the role that he plays um, in our lives. Uh, so what did we pick up last week? That God designed this world. He ordered this world out of chaos. He ordered this world with us in mind. He ordered this world so that we would occupy this, um, this world, that we would rule this world, but that we would rule it with him in control. Uh, so we said that that's the plan for um, the initial uh, plan for mankind. And the more we discover that plan for our lives, the more we are going to live out our purpose in this world. So the more you discover God's, God's plan for our world, the more you will live it out. But here's the thing, culture, the culture that we live in, the culture that Genesis was written in, we saw last week, that it either shuts God out or it domesticates him to fit our own needs. So that's what we do, uh, but what we, what we desire is that ultimately we would humble ourselves to realize that we are not in charge, that we would humble ourselves to realize that God is in control and therefore we would submit um, to him. So last week we kind of looked at that um, and we're continuing uh, this week. Part two of life um, as God meant it, life as it was 
initially designed. With that said, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, um, this, um, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into, into it. Genesis chapter 2, uh, from verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord, uh, now just remember that every time the Bible uses those capital letters, Lord, uh, it is the word Yahweh. Uh, so that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the, in the land and no small plant of the field was yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the, on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, which is going to be key in us understanding uh, chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of, um, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground... The Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divide, divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It is, it, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Hivila where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. I don't know how to pronounce that next word. And onyx, onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is, on the word, it, it is the one that flowed around the third river. Is the, uh, the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone and make him I will make him a helper fit for him. Some men say a helper. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, there was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no, not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he gave into a woman, and he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore I am a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we get into um, God's word. Uh, father, we 
thank you so much for those songs that speak of uh, the majesty of your son, Jesus, that is enthroned with you, uh, that he was there at creation with you, uh, that because of his resurrection, he's both Lord and King and Savior. And tonight, I pray that we would know this salvation, uh, that you would rewire our hearts to live in this world with him as king. Father, I pray that we will not be wowed, but changed. Uh, that we will not come here to be informed, but transformed by your word. Uh, so as your word is preached, I pray that you change our hearts and our lives and give us an attitude of learning and repenting uh, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, so I recently discovered a thing called Scribd or Scribd, however you may um, pronounce it. It's an app. Uh, and it's, it's the best thing ever. Apparently, I oversell things. But this is the Netflix of books. Uh, so you, if you don't have it, you must get it. Uh, cancel your Netflix subscription and read more books. Um, so this uh, script, I got onto it. What I like about it is that it has both audio and, uh, and physical, not physical, but like digital books. Uh, so as someone who learns by hearing, uh, I can play those books at two times the speed, uh, and, uh, and munch through uh, lots of books. So it's the best thing ever, you can imagine. I like the fact that it has both Christian books and so-called secular books. Uh, one of the books that I picked up, I've always wanted to read this book. It's, it has an orange cover. cover. You, might, you might have come across it. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blip. Now, to save you the amount of F-bombs that are thrown in this book, I'm going to spoil it for you and tell you what it's about, ne? Um, because there's, um, I want to save you from uh, all those hours. Uh, the summary of it is basically that there are so many bleeps uh, that we have, that if you give a bleep about everything, your life is going to be frustrating. So do not give a bleep about too many things. Uh, you are not that great, uh, as the motivational books told you. Uh, you are just an ordinary person. And if you chose few things to give a bleep about, uh, you'll be fine. Uh, so that's the, the basic summary of the book. But in one of the opening chapters, as the author sets up um, our world and some of the, uh, the things that characterize our culture, this is what he has to say. He says that our culture today is obsessively focused on unrealistically positive expectations. Uh, so he goes against the whole um, move of um, the last couple of years where it was about be positive. If you think positively, you attract positive stuff. Uh, you are the best thing ever. Um, look inside of you. So he says that there's so many unrealistic positive um, expectations. Uh, expectations like be happier, be healthier, be the best, better than the rest, be smarter, faster, richer, sexier, more popular, more productive, more envied, and more admired. Be perfect and amazing and poop out 12 current gold nuggets before breakfast each morning while, you, while kissing your selfie-ready spouse and two and a half kids goodbye. Then fly, fly your helicopter to your wonderfully fulfilling job where you spend your days doing incredibly meaningful work that's likely to save the planet one day. Isn't that sometimes the aspiration um, of our culture? To have this perfectly satisfying life uh, in your home, at work, to excel at everything that we, we do. But the author goes on to say, 
But when you stop and really think about it, conventional life advice, all the positive and happy self-help stuff we, all, we hear all the time is actually fixated on what we lack. Uh, so may, many of those things are highlighting the things that you and I lack. He says, ironically, this fixation only serves to remind us over and over again of what we are not, of what we lack, of what we should have been but failed to be. After all, no truly happy person feels the need to stand in front of a mirror and recite that they're happy. They just are. Um, so this is motivational books. Um, this guy is not a believer. Um, he doesn't claim to be a believer in his, um, in his book. One of the things I like about his um, book um, and many of the motivational books is that they try to scratch at what's itching in our lives. Um, they try to diagnose some of the deepest longings that you and I have and some of the frustrations about life that we carry uh, uh, day in uh, and day out. Uh, as many of us, uh, 90% of us, have experienced adulting, right? Um, if you've never sat in front of a mirror and thought to yourself, what am I doing at this job? Then you haven't adulted yet. Um, many of us, um, I'm sure, go through, through that, uh, where you think to yourself, man, I dreamed about this thing when I was uh, in, in high school. I wanted to be an accountant, but it just doesn't seem like I'm that good um, at what I do. Or some people are more positive and they think to themselves, I think I'm very good at what I do, but why is everyone not recognizing uh, how good I am? Why can't my pay slip reflect? Um, <laughs> yes, we'll go deeper. I'll prophesy. Um, sometimes we look at not just our work, but the relationships around us, uh, and they are a mess, and we look at our lives and like, man, this is not what I, what I planned. This is not what I signed up for. Uh, surely there's got to be um, better to, to this. We all have this searching for purpose, and we all long. If you missed this morning's uh, sermon, please go on to, okay, no, it's not recorded. Um, the recording bombed, but Reggie will record it this coming week. But it was a beautiful um, sermon uh, on just um, um, who God uh, has made us. And I think we all search for this home, as Reggie was saying. We all search for some form of perfection, uh, as if we are created uh, for something bigger than um, what we often um, experience. Now, the problem is we often look inside of ourselves, and the motivational books tell us, just look inside of you, um, and you'll find the key to life. But that leaves us disappointed, doesn't it? Um, that's why the, the next wave of books is going to say, shucks, those guys were lying. Those guys uh, duped you. Uh, there's a better way. And then we're going to run after that. And it's going to constantly have us look at our own self um, for the answers to some of our longings. Now, let me just say that Genesis and the world of the Old Testament is not uh, mid 2021. Nobody's struggling up, uh, with shucks, I'm not satisfied with my job, um, or having this ex existential crisis, right? Those people have had it tough. They were not thinking some of the things that you and I are thinking. So Genesis 
is not answering uh, some of your questions. I hate to disappoint you. I'm not going to um, tell you how your job should be satisfying you. But what Genesis does is that it gives us a foundation for how you and I look at our world. And once we have that foundation, we are able to navigate life. We are able to understand why God has placed us where he's placed us. And we are able to live out our purpose in that place um, that he's placed us. Now, this language of purpose, I'm like, shucks. I've, for many years, I've uh, drifted away from it because it was a subject of many motivational sermons. We're not here to motivate you this evening. Um, I'm just exposing God's word. But it does speak about the purpose, and I don't have a better word. Um, but it is purpose, right? Um, so we're going to see uh, three things from uh, Genesis 2. Um, and this is also um, on your brown um, handouts. Um, I, we did distribute pens. So if you want, you can be um, taking, um, taking notes. Three things that we're going to see. One is that God made a home. That's the thing that we learn and pick up from Genesis chapter 2. And what the author wants you to pick up is that God made a home. And God placed humans in that home. So God made a home. God placed humans in that home. And God uses humans to expand his home. Okay, God is in the business of extending. Yeah, he's a black parent. Um, he's extending the house. Yeah, that's our goal in life, isn't it? Uh, so let's have a look at the first, um, first point. Um, those things I say are not in the script, so help me um, and, and bear with me. God made a home, uh, the first thing that we see there. Uh, have a look at Genesis um, chapter 4. This is how it begins. And if you were to read Genesis, this is a homework for you. You need to write this down because I encourage you to do it. To go on to um, ESV app and Google put in the, this words, these are the generations, okay? So through our Genesis, there are these markers that introduce a new story to us, and they start with these words. These are the generations of so-and-so. Uh, so what the writer is doing here is that he's connecting what he's going to tell us here with the rest of the story in Genesis. He's connecting the story, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, with the story of Adam, uh, so you see in chapter 5, verse 1, these are the generations of, in chapter 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Chapter 10, 11, verse 10, these are the generations of Sam, Abraham, um, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, um, Jacob, on and on the narrative goes. And on and on, um, the writer wants us to know that whatever happens here in this story is related uh, to what's going to happen throughout the story of Genesis. Um, and the rest of those names are the names of Israelite patriarchs, uh, so the leaders and the fathers of Israel. So God is connecting the story of um, this creation and the story of Eden with the story of Israel and ultimately the Christian story. Uh, so that's what we pick up there now. F verses 4 uh, towards 6, I'm not going to... Deal with it because we just don't have time um, to, to deal with it. And that's not where the main action actually happens. So let's skip over to verses 11 where the main action happens where we see God um, making a home. Then the Lord God formed the man 
uh, man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man uh, became a living creature. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, in the east and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made uh, to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now one of the guys that I've been reading who's been very helpful uh, to me says this about Genesis, uh, the early chapters of Genesis, that they are more like a home story rather than a house story. Okay, track with me. I'm going to explain what he means by that. Um, very often when we read Genesis, what we have in mind is our own questions. So we bring our own questions uh, like, was this a literal 24 hours in chapter 1? Okay, because science has proved that the world is however many years, right? I'm not going to go into that because I'm not a scientist and uh, I'll need to do a PhD on that, uh, right? If you think about it as a house story, you'd be concerned with those type of questions um, because you're imposing your own questions um, into that about how the world uh, came to be. Like, for instance, last week we saw that in day one, God says, let there be light. And then in day four, he creates the moon and the, and the sun. Any rational person will ask, what are going on here? Um, what's happening? How is it possible scientifically to have light without those things that emit light, right? Doesn't make sense. But we saw that the writer last week wasn't interested in that. It was poetically structuring those days, forming and feeling to show us that God was creating this world for human habitation. So that's the point. It's a home story. It's about uh, the dwelling that God creates for his people. And in fact, it is in ancient Near Eastern thinking, that is how they would have thought of this. They would have thought of it in light of the stories that were around back in that day. So it is a home story rather than a house story. And I, a couple of years ago, um, when I got married, um, I, I am married. I just I don't wear my ring because the way uh, the lockdown happened is that my ring doesn't doesn't fit anymore. Um, <laughs> I have been married for, uh, this is now going into our eighth year. Um, praise God for that. She's still with me. Um, when we got married, we moved down the road here uh, at 65, um, or was it 64? 65 Leopard Rock, uh, and it was, my word, it was a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful time. At that time, we didn't have any, a lot of furniture. We had this small bar fridge with like this much of a freezer. We could only fit a bri pack in there. Um, we only had, we had a microwave that uh, my wife got as a graduate, uh, graduation gift. We had a small red couch. Um, we didn't have a TV. We chose not to have a TV, um, but it gets better. We had, uh, we didn't have much. We had this small um, single bed that she used in varsity and that there was our bed. Uh, so we moved from honeymoon a big bed into a small uh, bed. But can I just tell you, it was such a joyful time because it was home. Uh, we were building a home. And now looking back, I'm like, shucks, things were rough because I saw pictures of it. And I'm like, what? You lived with a small bar fridge, but it was, 
um, it was a warm uh, place. It was, uh, it was home. Um, now, if my kids uh, who are away this week, we thank God. Uh, <laughs> yo, in the words of DMX, uh, he said, my mother, my father, I love him. I hate him. <laughs> my son, my daughter, I love them. I hate them. Um, so I don't hate my children. But if my kids were to ask me, Papa, uh, tell me something about your home. Um, now, I wouldn't start telling them, sure, the, it was Facebook housing. Uh, we were staying in the second floor, and it was about 70 square meter. It had one bathroom uh, and two bedrooms. Um, I wouldn't go into details about that. That is a house story, but I'm going to tell them a home story about how we as the parents made a home, how we used to have spontaneous brides at that place when you guys were not there, uh, life used to be nice, um, how we made a home out of this place that was physically just a house uh, that needed um, us to put furniture into it, how one day we had come dine with me and the mother shifted um, the, 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 the furniture around, used the TV stand to make a dining table. That was home. Uh, and those are fond memories of home. When God creates his world in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the writer is telling us a home story that God is building a home. Uh, he's building a home for uh, his people. Uh, Genesis chapter 7, we see there that he creates men out of dust. Um, the word there is actually supposed to be more like clay, uh, but like it just simply means ground, the stuff of this land. Um, that's, what, that's how he creates uh, man. Now, if you read throughout Hebrew scripture, uh, being created out of clay, dust, as this picture of God as the potter, he's making them. But it has this picture of uh, mortality, mortality uh, that God, that uh, like people are just frail and mortal. And the tree of life is there in the garden, um, in the presence of God, to enable humans to go on living. Uh, that they are to eat of this tree uh, and have life. That is why when they sin, which you're going to look at, they cut out from the tree and death comes to us. But that's a, t- a topic for next week. God creates his people. Um, he puts them in a garden. Now, this is where the home story begins. We are meant to think. If you're an ancient uh, uh, reader of Genesis, you are meant to think as you read Genesis that the writer is talking about a temple. And I'm going to um, just give you um, evidence as to why we, we say that. If you read many of the descriptions of the temple or the tabernacle, you'll see that it has a lot of Eden language. Uh, so there's a lot of trees. In fact, the menorah, the, 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 the lights, the seven lights in the, in the temple uh, are meant to look like a tree with branches, uh, seven branches. In fact, there is a similarity between what is in the Holy of Holies. Someone tell me what's in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant and what is in the Ark of the Covenant Manna, Aaron's staff, and the, the law, okay? 
What happens when you touch that ark? You die. What does the Lord do? It gives wisdom. What does the tree of the knowledge of good and evil do? If you take of it, you will gain wisdom. If you touch the tree, if you eat of it, you die. So there's a lot of this picture of temple-like language. If you read in this, you're like, shucks, this is a temple. What is a temple? A temple is the place where heaven, God's space, and earth, our space, intertwine, overlap. Okay, so you have heavens, the Hebrews thought, and it's up in the heavens. Sometimes the word means just the skies. And garden, or rather temples, will be in mountains, um, closer to the heavens. And that is the place where heaven, God's space, and our space uh, overlap. So that is what a temple is. And if you read, this is another homework for you, Ezekiel 28, you see the description of the king of Tyre there and the description of Eden. Um, it says that Eden is in a mountain, it's in the mountain. Uh, so over and over again, as you read, you realize that actually what's being described here is God's home with his people. One commentator says this, that the Garden of Eden is not viewed by the author of Genesis simply as a piece of Mesopotamian farmland, but as an archetypal, a first of its kind century. That, that is a place where God dwells and where men should worship him. Many of the features of the garden may also be found in the latter century, centuries, particularly the tabernacle of Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem, of the tabernacle or the Jerusalem temple, this parallel suggests that the garden itself is understood as a sort of sanctuary. So this is God's space, this mountain garden, and from it flows the river of life. And if you read the prophets, you'll see that from the, um, from the temple, you'll see that there's a river flowing. Uh, and later on, we're going to look at Revelation where God's dwelling, heaven, comes to not overlap, but to be fully with people. That is what we're looking forward to. When we will fully dwell with God, and when we dwell with God fully, life will function the way that he has intended. But that's a topic for a couple of weeks' time. Now, as we look at the second point, are you guys still with me? If you're with me, say amen. amen. This is God establishing his home, his home is a temple. The second one is that he places humanity in his home. And notice I keep on uh, elaborating. People are priests in the temple. Adam and Eve are meant to, we are meant to see them as priests in the temple. Jump over to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the, in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. Those two words we are told by guys who read the Bible more than I do, that every time they come up, especially when they combine together in the Old Testament, they are either used of priests who are working and guarding, keeping means guarding the 
temple, sacred space where God is. They are meant to um, keep away everything that is unclean from the temple. They are meant to tell God's people how to behave around the temple. Uh, they do all sorts of things as priests. Ten times it is used um, in referring to Israel as serving God and obeying or keeping his word. There's a lot of other, um, if you want, uh, please come to me afterwards and I'll give you um, more scriptural references of places where it's clearly using the words to work it and keep it in relation to priestly work. Um, where in Genesis chapter 3 it says God was walking back and forth. This, those are the same, um, there's the same language that we see of temple, um, what God does in the temple uh, in the rest of scripture. Are you guys still with me? So to work and keep it is indicating to us some kind of priestly uh, way of life. It's God's people in his place serving him uh, and guarding the temple. Um, uh, one commentator, two commentators says uh, that these two words are terms most frequently encountered in discussions of human service to God rather than descriptions of agricult agricultural tasks. So it's not necessarily talking about us working the land, which is also um, what we're supposed to do, but it's elevating our work in the land as a priestly role. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say you are a priest. <laughs> now the second commentator says that in, in, in ancient thinking, Caring for sacred space, God's space, was a way of upholding creation. By preserving order, chaos was held at bay. Uh, so the job of the, of the priest was to preserve the order that we see in Genesis 1. And to take that order, Gen and, um, Adam and Eve were meant to take that order and spread it uh, to the rest of the world. So they were to take Eden, which is actually, this was mind-blowing when I thought of it. Because I didn't know that Eden is a, is a place. Uh, so it's not the rest of the, the world. They had to take what's in Eden. Um, normally in ancient thinking, gardens are places where God's presence is. Um, gardens, because they didn't have water. Um, that they, they didn't have, um, they didn't climb mountains or anything like that. Um, so gardens are places that are remote or that are unique. And mountains are places that are remote. A garden mountain uh, is a place definitely where God, where God dwells. And what is their role as people where they are placed in this home to be priests? They are placed in this home to work and keep um, the garden, to work and keep God's sacred space. The life of a Christian, the mandate of Christians is to bring about order into a disordered world. Um, that, is, that is our role. So notice that in this home, those are the home chores, but the home rules. Have a look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Um, the way this phrase works in the Hebrew, I normally don't say that uh, because I don't want to sound like I'm smart or I'm like reading stuff that you're not reading. But like, this is guys, I'm reading guys who are reading the Bible more than I am. They say that it's phrased like the law. So do not eat, you shall not eat, for the day that you eat, 
of it, you, will sh you shall surely die. We're going to look at that um, next week. Uh, because it's this idea that not only do we have roles, but we have house rules. What are the house rules to not eat of this fruit? What is this fruit? Well, there's many options that we have. But the whole idea there is this idea of moral autonomy. Is this idea of deciding what's right and what is orderly without reference to God. Humanity likes to work and keep the land, likes to go about life, establishing order without God. So first thing, God creates, what did we say? I'm missing, I need to look at my notes now. God made a home, God placed people in a home, and lastly, God uses people to expand this home. Now, we're running out of time. Verses 18 to, um, till the end, we read the story of God uh, seeing that man is not complete, uh, that he's in need of a helper, and he makes a woman from the, it says rib, but it's actually the side of the man, um, and he places him and presents him to, to man so that he would help him um, to work and preserve, to work and to guard the place that he's placed uh, um, um, them in. Um, so the, the idea here, again, is not so much that God created a, a woman for Adam because he was lonely, but because he had a job to do. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, get yourself a woman who you will build something with. Okay, come, come back. That's another, that's another sermon series all on its own. But what we, what we are meant to see here is that this too, that unlike the animals, Eve is, comes from the side of the man, uh, that he's made of the same stuff as him, uh, that he has almost equal dignity before the, not almost, he has equal dignity uh, before the eyes of God, that he's the only suitable person um, who would join him in this task of um, procreating, feeding the earth, subduing it. Um, that's why when we complicate gender, uh, we need to remember that that's trying to order life our own way and not the way that God um, has intended uh, for us to, uh, to structure it. Um, this words by a guy uh, called Matthew Henry. He's also a commentator. He says that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I'm sure you've heard that before. Those are deep words. But the key there is being from his side, um, being from his side and being equal with him, and together, they are meant to work and keep. And not only that, but to take the order of Eden to the rest of the world. Now, this very same mandate, I told you that this other generation is a, is a marker of the different stories. If you read this, the different stories, you'll pick up also uh, encounters with God on mountains, encounters with God near trees in the Old Testament. But this repetition of God blessing them, this command to be fruitful, 
fill the earth and subdue the earth, rule over all the earth, over and over again, God says this mandate to the patriarchs. In other words, God wanted Adam and Eve to take this life of Eden across um, all, all the earth. That is why in Genesis 11, when those guys want to build a name for themselves, instead of gathering, instead of um, scattering, what do they do? They gather. They want to create a civilization uh, for themselves. They want to create Eden apart from God. Verse 25, and man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now that's we're going to pick up in next week uh, because there is a connection between this verse and what happens straight afterwards in chapter 3, verse 1. Um, again, in the Hebrew, because they, like, they just, there's so many bars we can't see here. It's a lot of poetic language um, that he's Adam because he's taken from Adama, um, the, the, the crown that he's taken from. But there's a play on word of these two words, naked and, um, and what does it say of the serpent? That is shrewd and crafty. Um, the word naked is arum. The word shrewd is arumim. So it's like a, a wink wink. If you're reading it, it's like these guys were arum, but the snake was arumim. Suspense. Next week we'll figure out what that means. <laughs> um, so now I think we need to, to end it off by just thinking if that's God's intended plan, how it works itself out um, in all of, um, all of history as Christians, wherever God has placed us. How do we think about our world? Um, and I think there's a lot of um, things to grapple with. There's a lot of New Testament ideas that speak about Christians as being uh, living stones, um, the dwelling place of God. Um, I'm going to read them uh, in just um, a, a minute. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 uh, says, As you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as God's spiritual house, as God's temple to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Verse 9 goes on to say, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, royal kings in chapter 1, priesthood that you see here, a holy nation, what Israel was meant to be, a people for his own possession. That is what a Christian is once you put your trust in him. And what is your job? He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonder, well, marvelous life marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Um, beloved, verse 11, this is where the redefining of life is. Uh, one, Peter tells us that these people are with God. God is dwelling with them. Christ is the cornerstone that was rejected. Um, he's the foundation of their lives. This is where God redefines their lives. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
of visitation. What we pick up from the New Testament is that God doesn't dwell in, he does not dwell in holy places anymore. He dwells in holy people. And he wants to redefine their lives. You'll see in Peter, there's so many echoes of Genesis, so many echoes of the exile. Um, and he's talking to Christians who are living long after the exile had happened, the, the um, Oxodus happened. And he's saying to them, what you've done, what Jesus has done for you has changed who you are. But not only that, um, what Jesus has done um, dictates the way that you live. When God dwells with you, he changes how you live. And you see on after he says that they are to uh, proclaim the excellencies of him, he goes on to redefine marriage, work, and all of those things. Um, And often the epistles do that. They tell us of a different way of living in this world, a way that's contrary to our culture, a way that shows us that we are with God. How can we be with God? The only way is through his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes into our lives, he changes us. Um, But he's not physically with us. He dwells with us by his spirit so that we go out into the places where he's placed us to live the Christian life. So that when people look at us, they may say, wow, that's the life that we want, the life of Eden. Give it to us. Give it to us. Um, now, as we end off, uh, I want to leave you with a question uh, and a picture. Uh, I saw someone putting up a picture on, on Facebook of a church, another church in Midrand. On their exit, it has these words, um, out to the harvest field. So as you come into that church, you hear God's word. As you leave those doors, you know that you are going into, um, you are going out into the harvest field. Now, I think I want to perhaps add to that, that we, as we leave those doors, are walking out into chaos, non-order. And I don't mean that in a negative way, that our catch is all bad. Um, but every time humanity wants to set, up, set themselves up as king, it is chaotic. And what is God calling us to do uh, as royal priesthood uh, and kings, um, or royal means king, as royal priests, that we would go into the places that he's placed us in and to bring about order wherever he, he may place us. Now, think about your job, your relationships, not just um, romantic relationships, but the relationship, relationships at work. Let me leave you with this question. Where are the places that need fixing? What is broken in your workplace that needs reordering? What is broken in some of your relationships? Perhaps it's family. Perhaps it's your relationship with your girlfriend or wife. What is broken in those places that needs fixing? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your plan, we thank you for your love, that even in our rebellion, you choose to make us your people. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we go into this week, as we face some of the frustrations of work and uh, just not being satisfied, whatever the case may be. I pray that you would remind us that you didn't put us in those places to complain and to moan, uh, but you put us in those places uh, to bring about your life into those spaces, to be salt and light. Please empower us by your spirit um, to be what you have called us to be. 
I pray for someone who's not a believer that they would come to the end of themselves of trying to establish order apart from you and that they would run to you as the creator and as the savior and as Lord and that their lives would be reordered. I pray that you'd give us such a zeal to see the lives of those around us um, submit uh, under the Lordship of Jesus. So go, us, go with us into this week. Help us and empower us for the task that lies ahead. Through Jesus our Lord we ask. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you for joining us. Next week we're continuing. We're looking at chapter 3 of Genesis. I hope that you will read it. Uh, if you want to um, just have a further study on what we spoke about, I found this stuff on the Bible Project quite helpful. Um, I don't always, I agree with 80% of the stuff on the Bible Project. Uh, I think they're very helpful because what they do is, instead of listening for me for 40 minutes, they take pictures and um, tell you what I just told you in five, seven minutes. So they are amazing, the Bible Project. Um, I have copies here. I didn't want to make 50 copies in case you're not interested. But if you are interested, you didn't get a copy, uh, it's on the Bible project. It's a study guide on heaven and earth. So just take this. It will be here if you're interested in finding out more and getting into the scriptures. Have a great week. There's this Anglican thing that they say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with us now evermore. Amen.